Thank you, Jeff. Take your Bibles tonight and be turning to Mark chapter 6 as we uh, continue our series on the ministry of Jesus. We come this evening to a, an event, a miracle, a ministry uh, that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's the only uh, miracle, if you will, the only ministry event of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels. And so that tells us uh, a little bit about its importance and about how important it is for us to understand uh, and read it. In this passage this evening, what we're going to think about for a few minutes is Jesus ministering to uh, greater than 5,000, and actually he fed them. He fed them with, uh, in our vernacular today, five biscuits and a couple of sardines. I mean, they were little uh, bread rolls and some little salted and dried fish, and we find out from John's gospel it was a boy's lunch. And so the boy's probably feeling pretty bad about that. It took my lunch. But, uh, but Jesus multiplied it and uh, used it to feed 5,000. Now, the interesting part about this passage is it was 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So there could have very easily been uh, 10,000 people there, maybe more, that Jesus fed with five little biscuits, little pieces of bread, barley, and, uh, and some little fish. So let's pick up. Uh, the, the narrative, if you will, the story, and there are many lessons for us to learn, and so we're just going to uh, learn them as the Holy Spirit teaches us tonight. Look at verses 30 and 31 of Mark chapter 6. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Now watch this part. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Now, the context is this, and sandwiched in between here, if you read the passages before this, you find out that there's the account of the murder of John the Baptist by Herod. But before that happened, before it was broken with that story of John the Baptist, Jesus had gathered his disciples, those men who would uh, be among the apostles and, and disciples in addition to them, and he had taught them, and then he sent them out. He said, I want you to go out and do ministry. And he sent them out. We know he sent them out two by two. And they went out and they did what Jesus did. They basically were empowered by him and they went out and they, they did some miracles and they did some things for the same reasons Jesus did them. They were evidences of the authority of Christ. And then they, they not only ministered to people in the name of Jesus, but they preached in the name of Jesus. And so many things were accomplished as they went out two by two and they went around and they taught and they ministered to people. And what Jesus did is he multiplied his ministry. He sent them out. And in this passage... It begins with them coming back to Jesus to give the report, to come back and share with him all the great things that had happened, all that had been accomplished in their, their going out in his name and their preaching in his name and their teaching in his name. And that's what we have here is they come back to give the report to Jesus. Now, we might just note in that opening uh, phrase, if you will, in the opening revelation here of the events, very similar to what Jesus did to the church when he left, is it not? When Jesus ascended back to heaven right before he left, he said, I want you to go and take the gospel to the whole world, and I want you to teach them and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what are we about today? The exact same thing these men were about. We are going out into the world, and we are ministering, and we're sharing the gospel, and we're ministering to God's people, and we're doing the same kind of ministry. Now, it's important to note here that when those men came back, the ministry had been very busy, in other words, they had gone out and the crowds had come and they were always around Jesus. And Jesus is, is specific to say here that they didn't even have time to eat. 
Mark records they had been so busy in the ministry that they didn't have time to eat. So Jesus said to these men, let's go aside to a deserted place. Let's get in a boat and let's go where the crowds are not so that we can rest. I want you to rest. I want you to get something to eat. And we need to go to a place and set ourselves apart for a while. Now, don't, don't read over that. Uh, you need to really think about that for a moment. The ministry of Jesus Christ um, is a people ministry. And when you minister to people, it is full on all the time, particularly if you're engaged in a ministry somewhere. And it's very easy, just as these men, they were always surrounded by a crowd, people always coming to Jesus, people always wanting something and wanting ministry and Jesus teaching them and the disciples teaching them and ministering to them. It's very easy to come to a place where you need to rest, to come to a place where you need, you need some time apart. And so Jesus says to them here, look, we've been about the people business. We've been ministering to people. We've been sharing the gospel. We've been feeding them spiritually. We've been teaching them. We've been sharing with them. We've been ministering to their physical needs. And Jesus was saying to them, now we need time. You need to come apart and rest. Jesus often throughout the gospels would separate himself. In one account near the end of this, Jesus will tell his disciples, get into a boat and go to the other side of the sea and I'll catch up with you. And what did Jesus do? He went up into a mountain place by himself to spend time alone with the Father. What I'm saying is, is, is this. In the Christian life, it's imperative. It is absolutely imperative if you want to be in the ministry for Jesus for the long haul that you have to spend time alone with the Father. And you have to spend time alone to be refreshed. And you have to spend time alone to be refreshed physically and mentally and spiritually and emotionally. Let me share with you how that applies to the church today very quickly. There are men that God calls into the ministry that is their, is their full-time vocation. Even pastors, we have in our association, in the Black Creek Baptist Association, uh, we have more bivocational pastors than we have full-time pastors. And those bivocational pastors work a job somewhere to provide for their families, and then at the same time, they pastor a church. They preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night Bible studies while they're working a job. And those men who are in that ministry uh, give of themselves and, and, our, and our work, they work hard. And so there are times when they need rest. And in this church, we're blessed here, the men who are on staff here as pastoral staff, that, that this church can support us. And we do this and we give our full effort to doing the ministry. But the ministry and the pastoral ministry is, is a lot of work. I had someone ask me one time, they were talking to me and they said, well, what is it you do all day anyway? And I thought, well, it's a little more than we have time to talk about right now. And I don't think you're in the receive mode. So you really don't care what I say to you. But the point is, the point is there are some people who think, oh, well, you're, you know, you guys are in the ministry. And, and I have known men now, I have known men that in my estimation, they're in the ministry for the wrong reasons. They're in the ministry because it's a job because they think they can get benefits. I've even heard people say, I need to find a church so I can get benefits. Listen, if that's the motive, they're in the wrong, they're, they're in the wrong business, okay? And, and it always intrigues me when people go, I'm going to get into ministry because you guys get paid good. And I said, you're really not understanding how this works, do you? You really don't understand that this is a call of God and that you do this regardless of whether you get paid or not. You can't do anything else because God calls you to do it. So all I'm saying is that in, in, in our contemporary society, to be in a pastoral ministry, if God calls a man to do that, 
there are times when you need rest and you need to take a, a step back. And by the way, on a personal note, I am thankful uh, to you for the church that, you know, over the summer we took uh, six or seven weeks off and moved Nathan and all. And that was incredibly uh, refreshing and was a blessing to be able to do that. And I assure you, when I come back from those, those periods of time off that I am refreshed and I'm eager to get back here in the ministry. And then I was thinking about other contexts of ministry that, that is a- absolutely applicable to what Jesus is saying here. In this church, since it's the one that I know best, we have many robust ministries in the church, and you're familiar with them, the ones that you're involved in. We have probably one of the most robust children's programs of any church uh, that I've ever seen or been a part of, maybe one other that was very similar. We have over, we have Awana going on right now on Sunday nights with probably near 100 or more children over there every week. That's, I don't know if you recognize how fantastic that is, that there are children who are coming here through an Awana program who are memorizing the Bible, who are hearing the gospel, many of them being saved, and they're going back into their families and, and sending it home with mom and dad. Mom and dad, help your child learn their verses, and guess who else is learning the verses? Mom and dad, okay? So there's a tremendous ministry going on there. And Miss Kim and, and Miss Charity and all those who work in the preschool and in the children's department, the planning and the work for those children is nonstop. It is ongoing. It is perpetual. Uh, and I know Miss Kim's office is right down the hall there across from mine. And I know what she does. And I know all the work that goes on. And so from time to time, they could get burned out and they could get overwhelmed uh, to do that ministry. And then I was thinking of our elders and our deacons here, uh, godly men who have servants' hearts, who serve the congregation body, who hold the door, take out the trash, go to people's houses. Just this week, I, I received an email from a lady who's shut in right now, health needs in her, in her family. And we had two men from this church go over there and meet needs in her life, uh, in her home. Two men went together, all appropriate, and ministered to her and, and took care of things that she needs. Uh, listen, that's the ministry that's going on. And that's the ministry that people are involved in. And it's work. I mean, it's a lot of work. And then I was thinking of the music. I mean, Jeff puts in hours and musicians put in hours and they, and they practice and they prepare to come and lead us in worship. And, and, and it's hard work. And it's a sacrifice of time for them to come. You know, the choir comes on Tuesday nights to practice. They come back here and they practice for an hour and a half and they sing and they prepare in the praise teams. Then I was thinking of other ministries in the church that, that can burn people out and, and can wear us out if we don't take time to consider resting and recuperating. In this church, there's men's ministry, ladies' ministry. We have teachers for all our life groups. We have Awana. We have VBS in the summer. We have camps in the summer. We had the fall festival last night that had hours and hours and hours of preparation put in by the events committee, plus everybody who came here and, and gave out candy for two and a half hours. My arm was tired of, doing, of putting candy in buckets last night. Then we have ministries to the shut-ins. We have ministries to the sick, the hospital. We have, we have ministries of comfort to people who are hurting and lost loved ones. And the list goes on and on and on. So here's what I'm saying. Jesus teaches us here that we have to have a balanced ministry. We can't be out of balance. I, I heard a man say one time, he said, I'm going to burn myself out for Jesus. And when I first heard that, I thought, that's pretty rah-rah, gung-ho. You know, that uh, sounds pretty spiritual. But then I got to thinking, 
this is the way I think. Why, why burn myself out at all? Why don't I figure this thing out so we're just in it for the long haul till Jesus comes back? How about that? I mean, why, why do we just like have to burn ourselves out? Why don't, we, why don't we do the ministry and commit to it long term like a marathon? You know what I mean? And set a pace and not, not a sprint. Because you do know the Christian life is a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. This is long term. And so I thought in the ministry, that's what we should do. And so really, I want you to know that in teaching like this, when Jesus said to his disciples and to his, his apostles, come aside and let's rest and let's be refreshed. And Jesus would go aside and be refreshed for the ministry. So I would suggest we need to do the same thing. Now, let me give one caveat to that. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, well, pastor, you know, I've served in the church for however long. And I've served in this ministry for however long. So, you know, we're just going to sit back now and not do anything. Mm, no, that's an overreaction, okay? God never called us to sit on the sideline when there's something we can do. Now, I understand as we get older uh, that maybe some of the things we could used to do become limited, okay? And we can't do as much as we used to do. You shouldn't feel bad about that. But the fact is, until Jesus calls us home, there's always something we can do, isn't there? Until Jesus calls us home, we can pray. Until Jesus calls us home, we can pick up the phone. And today, with technology, you don't even have to use the phone. You can text. And you can text somebody and say, hey, I missed you, and I'm praying for you. Well, you don't know what that'll do for somebody. You don't know how that'll encourage them. So let's just remember that to be balanced in our lives, but to stay serving Jesus, and Jesus called him aside. Now, Jesus said here, he, was, he said, let's go to a deserted place, which means in verse 31, let's go somewhere, watch this, where all the crowd is not. Let's go where all the people are not so that we can have some time apart. Now look at what happened in verses 32 to 34. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Jesus always seemed to have a boat standing on the ready, didn't he? Probably because Peter had been a fisherman and they had boats ready. Then in verse 33, but the multitudes, the people that were there, saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. What an incredible scene this is. Jesus says to the disciples, let's get in the boat and let's go to a deserted place where we can have some time to catch our breath. You guys can get something to eat and we can regroup for the next ministry event. But apparently somehow the people, the crowd, the multitude, knew where they were going. Now, I don't know who the traitor was. I don't know who who said out loud where they were going. I don't know how the crowd found out where they were going, but the crowd found out where they were going. And so Jesus and the disciples get in the boat and they take off. Probably didn't take off rowing. Probably not taking off, but they go, okay? The crowd knows where they're going somehow. And so out of every city, people start to run around the sea instead of in the boat. And they get there before Jesus does. So much for rest, right? So much for going to a deserted place because the people go and, and John uses, and not John, but Mark uses the word a great multitude here. So not just a few people ran ahead of them, but the whole multitude, 5,000 men plus women and children. There could have well been 10, 15,000 people. When Jesus shows up on the shore, here's this crowd of 10,000 people or more standing there waiting on him to get there. Now, as I thought about that, I thought about it from a human perspective. To be completely transparent, most people would have probably been annoyed at that. 
I mean, my plan, if it was my plan, is to go to this deserted, quiet place so I can rest. And these people show up, and now I can't rest. And this whole crowd shows up, and now my whole plan for spending time alone with the disciples and letting them get something to eat and refreshing, my whole plan's done. In fact, from a human perspective, it would have been really easy to resent the selfishness of the crowd. It would have been easy to be mad because I'm not going to get my me time. I'm not going to get my time for me to refresh and, and, to, and to recuperate. I'm not going to have my time that I had planned to do the things I was going to do because it's been interrupted by the needs of somebody else. Now in here in church, we're all super holy right now, so we'd go, well, Pastor, I would just give of myself and, you know, and that would be no problem at all. And now you're fibbing because there comes a point when you go to yourself, I can talk to you tomorrow. Why do I have to do it right now, right? And so in the ministry, we see, we see them come. But I love Jesus' response. Not like our response. Look at verse 34 again. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was what? Moved with compassion. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, his love for humanity, his love for his creatures, his love for those people moved him with compassion. Don't you think for a minute in his humanity that Jesus wasn't tired? Don't you think for a minute in his humanity that he wasn't hungry and sleepy? How much sleep do you think Jesus got? The people are crowded around him till late at night. He's up in the morning praying. Jesus is tired. He's hungry. He's trying to get alone to where he can rest. And 15,000 people show up and want more of his time and want more of his attention. And when Jesus looked at them, he's moved with compassion because when he looked at them, they looked like sheep with no shepherd. So what did he do? He began to teach them again. Isn't that beautiful? Think about that phrase when he looked at them as sheep without a shepherd. That's very descriptive, by the way. I'll give you three things that it tells us about this crowd. Three things that it tells us about us. Number one, sheep are not really smart. I've never been a shepherd, so I'm not going to talk to it as if I am intimately familiar with sheep. However, I have read a lot about sheep, and nothing I've ever read about sheep is very flattering. I'll just put it that way, okay? Everything I've ever read about sheep is actually pretty embarrassing. And Jesus calls us sheep. So when you get to feeling big and bad about yourself, just remember Jesus calls you sheep, okay? Let me tell you three things about sheep. Number one, sheep cannot find their way home by themselves. Sheep have no sense of direction. Why? They need a shepherd to lead them to the fold. They need a shepherd that they follow. They get lost easy. When we read about Jesus being the chief shepherd and us being the sheep, what does it say he's always doing? Hunting down the, the ones that got away, right? Hunting down the ones that wandered off and are where they ought not to be. Hunting down the ones that ran away from the crowd and thought the grass was greener on the other side of the hill. What's, what's the shepherd always doing? Going and getting the sheep and bringing them back. Not only is he going to get them and bring them back, he's always binding them up and fixing their wounds because they hurt themselves. And he has to lead them by the still waters because they'll drown themselves. So what's the shepherd always doing? Getting the sheep back together, the little stick with the crook, you know, bringing them back, putting them on his shoulders, bringing them back to the fold. So when Jesus looked at this crowd in his heart, he said, here's a bunch of people that are like sheep without a shepherd. 
and they don't and they and they have no idea where they're going. And his compassion was stirred up for them. Lost men and women are like that, by the way. They're out there in the world, and they're just wandering around from one thing to the next and have no idea. You know what they need? They need a savior. They need a savior who'll be their shepherd. That's what they need. To have direction, to know what to do in life. Secondly, do you know sheep are not very good at finding food? In the Bible, every time we read about the shepherd, what's he doing? Leading them to green pastures. Leading them where the grass is at. Why? Because they, uh, if you have no sense of direction and they don't smell very good, I mean, I don't mean they stink. I mean, they don't smell good with their nose. They don't have any natural attributes like a dog or some other animal to find food. So they wander around. And so the shepherd does what? He feeds them. He leads them to where they can be fed. You know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit is perpetually feeding us, isn't he? Always moving in our hearts through his word. And that's what, that's what he does. And as sheep, we need to be fed. We need to be led to those green pastures. And we need to be led by the still water so we can drink. And Jesus does that for us. And then probably most importantly, sheep have no self-defense mechanism. I mean, zero. As best I know from reading about sheep, they can't run very fast. I mean, if you don't have any teeth or claws, what do you need? You need to be able to book it, right? You, if, you can't, if you can't fight, you need to be able to get away. Well, poor old sheep, they can't do anything. They can't do any of that. They have no teeth. They have no claws. And they get so furry, they fall over themselves. So, so who, you know, if they don't have somebody to protect them, they're just sitting around waiting for something to come eat them. Well, when Jesus said, I see them like sheep without a shepherd, he sees them as in danger. Lost men and women are in terrible danger. And Jesus is reaching out to them. And, when, and listen, as Christians, if we get away from the Lord and our walk, and, and we get away from our prayer life, and we get away from his word, and we get out in the world, we're in terrible danger. Not of losing our salvation, but of, of being overcome by the enemy and sin and hurt. And so Jesus looked at them and, and, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then it says here that he taught them. Now I want you to think about that. Here's this 10, we'll just say it's 10,000 people. Probably more than that because it didn't talk about the children either. But, but we know there was one little boy there because it was his lunch that they took, right? So we got men, women, and children. We'll just call it 10,000. And when Jesus sees the crowd, his hearts move with compassion. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And so he begins to do what? Teach them. Isn't that marvelous? Teach them. I was thinking about that this week as well. Man, I would to God that people today would be like people then. Why did that 10,000 people run around the lake to find Jesus when they got off the boat? Because they wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted him to teach. We can't only pay people to come to church. Man, we got churches today. Listen, what a shame this is. And I'm not busting on churches and what they do. I'm saying it's a shame that we even have to go to this level. We got people giving away movie tickets. Hey, you come to church, and you know, and if you're the fifth one through the door, here, we'll give you some movie tickets. And you come to church, and we're going we're gonna to give your kids Cinderella movie. Or we're, what are we doing? You're, you're, you're advertising. Hey, you come to church, and we'll, we'll have this for you, and we'll do this for you do that for you. What happened? What happened to God's people being hungry for a word and wanting to come and, and be blessed and fed from God's word? What happened to God's people 
who want to be together and worship together and honor Jesus Christ. We've, we've seriously gone astray. This crowd came to Jesus. Jesus gave them the to know him as Savior and to know about who he is. That's what people see today. That today. This crowd we had here last night was magnificent. How many were here? We had 800 hot dogs and most of them were gone. I, there were easily six, seven, eight hundred people here all that came through. I, one time our truck was right here and I walked around the corner and as far as I could see, people were still streaming in off the street. We were on an hour. So there were, there were people everywhere. How wonderful would it be if we could get that same crowd to show up here to sit under the hearing of God's Word? Wouldn't that be awesome? And you say, well, Pastor, what if they showed up on Sunday? What are you going to do? I'm going to teach them. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach them. 12 months. If they come to church, we're going to teach God's Word. That's what we need. That's what God needs. That's what most men and women need. They need to hear about Jesus today. Now, it got late in the day. Showed up. I don't know what and I don't know what time it was. You know it was springtime. In a few minutes, Jesus is going to have say have them sit down on the green grass. Only green around there was in the springtime. But we don't know what time of the day it was when he got there. But evidently, and evidently, the disciples uh, did not share Jesus's compassion or enthusiasm for the day. And we're going to see that in a moment. So look at verse thirty-five. The day was spent. Shadows got long. His disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour's late. Send them away. Well, what a contrast. Jesus, with compassion, the disciples say, Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. I like verse 37. Jesus looked at them and said, You feed them. Look at it. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And the disciples said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Now in John's account, Andrew, <coughs> Andrew came and told Jesus, we have this bread and these fish. Jesus commanded them to make them sit down and grow the green grass. So, <clears throat> all right. So in verse 39, Jesus commanded them to sit uh, down on the grass and it was green until springtime. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. Now, verse 42, notice this. They all ate and were filled. Five biscuits and two little sardines and 2,000 people.
<clears throat> Jesus challenged his disciples. <clears throat> you got one of them things? Thank you. I'm not sure I need it just yet, but I'll hang on to it. <clears throat> I always bring this water up here, and I don't have to use it very often. But praise God, when you need it, you need it. Man, it is good. <clears throat> Notice the first thing. When they came to Jesus, the disciples said, Lord, it's late in the day. Send them away. Now, they weren't just saying send them away to send them away. He said send them so they can get something to eat. get it back out here and 200 denarii worth, you know, ounce worth of money. And basically they were thinking of all the reasons why we can't do this. That's how a Baptist church operates, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, you, you get ready to do a minute. Because we don't have enough money. And we don't have enough food. And so what Jesus said to them was, what do you have? What, what, what is, take inventory. What do you have? And of course, the, the bread and the fish. Now, here's the important lesson for us. It's not about when Jesus calls us to a ministry. And this is a perfect example of this. When Jesus calls us to a ministry, he's not calling us to the ministry because of what we have. You understand that, right? He's not calling us to the ministry because of what we can do. He's not calling us to the ministry because we have great resources. Because none of that stuff's true of any of us, right? He's not calling us to the ministry because we're so spiritual and that he just somehow needs what we have. No. It, it, what, what he's doing when he calls us to the ministry and what he was doing for them is a great privilege to be involved in what he's about to do. He knew what he was going to do. They didn't know what he was going to do. So what did they need to do? Just be, just be obedient. Just answer the call. Just come and say, Lord, I'm ready to feed them. I know fish. This little boy's got some fish and some bread. Here you go. Well, how are we going to feed them? That would have been the attitude to take. But instead, they were figuring out why we can't. In the ministry today, we have to remember what God calls us to do, he's going to enable us to do. What God calls us to do, he's going to provide what we need to do the ministry with if he's calling us to it. And there was a song not long ago by the, the Gaither Vocal Band. And if you ever listen to them, it's a, a Southern gospel group, and they're really good. Little is much when God's in it. That's a song. Go look it up. Listen to it on, on, on the Internet. Little is much when God's in it. Five biscuits and two sardines. God can feed the world. Jesus fed 15,000 people with that. No problem. Now, I want to point one other thing out. When Jesus got ready to feed them, what did he tell the disciples to have the crowd do? You remember? <clears throat> Sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now, is there something we can learn from that? I think so. I think so. Did you notice that when Jesus did the ministry, and I mean in every ministry in our study that we've been talking about, it's never chaotic. Never. Everything Jesus ever did is ordered. It's, it's planned. Number one, he's God. He knows what he's going to do. But in this case, he said, have, have everybody sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Why? Because he knows he's going to feed them and everybody needs to get some. 
Everybody needs to be fed. How are the disciples out of 15,000 people? Think about it in your brain for a minute. 15,000 people in the parking lot, and we tell them all to sit down. How are we going to know who got some and who didn't? How are we going to know who got some fish and some bread and how much they got? How are we going to know unless you have them sit down in a way where you can start over here and feed this group and feed this group and move around to this group? So it's very orderly. I would suggest to you today the ministry should be planned. That's not to take away the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit. Don't misunderstand me. Because the Holy Spirit works whenever he wants to. But the ministry should be planned. The pastor ought to study. Just saying. When I, when we, Sherry and I attended a church in Virginia one time. And the pastor and his wife, and I love the man. I'm not, I'm, I'm not picking on him. I'm just going to relay the truth of the story. And I was just, a, I was in the Navy. I wasn't called into ministry yet, but I thought it was weird. They called us over on, on Christmas Eve. And Christmas Eve was Saturday. It was before Sunday. And Megan is, Megan's just big. And so we got Megan and we go over to the pastor's house and we have Christmas Eve dinner with them. And we're, it's late at night, it's like nine or 10 o'clock. And we're like, we got to get Megan home, get her into bed. And the pastor looks at us, goes, well, I guess I better go in there and get my sermon ready for tomorrow morning. Well, I taught Sunday school sometimes. It took me all week. And I was like, wow, he must really be smart or something. I don't know. So we got in the car to go home and I said, did he just say, did he just say he's going to go in there and get his sermon ready for tomorrow morning? She goes, yeah, I think that's what he said. I was really interested to hear what he had to say the next morning because, you know, I was like, well, he's either going to be up all night or, or, or it's not going to be very good. I'm not sure which one it is. Listen, I think that's wrong. I think, I think the, that those who are going to participate in the ministry, the preacher ought to study and prepare. The singers ought to practice. What do you think? I mean... I think our singers are fantastic, but I like singers that sing right, don't you? Uh, I mean, I like them that sing, you know, that sing the part they're supposed to part, sing and the musicians to play the notes they're supposed to play. How do you do that? You practice, right? And you, and you put in the time. So all I'm saying is this, the, the service that ought to be thought about before you get here, we ought to prepare. You say, well, you know, and I've had people say this to me, well, you know, you're taking away from the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not taking anything away from the Holy Spirit. I'm saying I'm not the Holy Spirit. And I can't show up here on Sunday morning, but I haven't prepared and it just flow, you know, just like it happened like that. So I said, God, it's incumbent on us to plan. We plan the children's ministries. We plan the youth ministry. We plan the music. We plan the preaching. We plan the service. We plan when, you know, we, we get with the people who are getting baptized. We plan, you know. And, and Jesus sat them down in groups of 50s and 100s, and it's a good example for us. And then finally, the last thing. How did Jesus feed 15,000 people with five biscuits and two sardines? Where did the, and we talk about this in seminary. I still remember this in the class. Where did the miracle take place? We actually talked about that. Where did the miracle take place? How did these, these, these little loaves of bread and these two sardines turn into enough food for 15,000 people? Well, you don't have to write a paper on it like I did, but I'm going to tell you where the miracle took place, Okay. It took place in the hands of Jesus. You know why I know that? Because he's the one who spoke the universe into existence, and he's the one who created everything. It couldn't happen anywhere else. It didn't happen when, for goodness gracious, it didn't happen when the disciples were toting it, I can tell you that. They didn't even want to be doing it. No, it happened when, when Jesus held that food in his hand and he broke it off. He's creating food in his hands. Why? Because he's God. 
And he stood there, now watch this, he stood there and he created food until everybody was full. And they had 12 baskets left over. Why do you think they had 12 baskets left over? Because there's 12 of them dudes who didn't want to do it in the first place. And Jesus was giving them their lunch too because what? They hadn't ate yet, right? They hadn't eat all day. They've been there with Jesus and nobody's ate. Now notice this, and we'll close. Jesus created in his hands the exact right amount. There was nothing left over after the 12 had their lunch. There was nothing, nobody went away. Everybody had what they needed. Jesus always met the need exactly. You know, Jesus still does that today. Whatever your need is, he'll meet it exactly. Where, whatever it is in your life, wherever you are spiritually, emotionally, uh, whatever, he'll meet you where you are and he'll meet your need exactly. Now you might say like we, like, like all of us sometimes we'll say, well, Jesus, give me my need today and give me some extra for tomorrow. That's not how he works. When you run into your need tomorrow, guess who will be standing there to meet it with you? Jesus will. Okay. So the grace is sufficient to meet your need where you are. Well, this is a good ministry, a good miracle, fantastic passage. I pray that it blessed you tonight. Now listen, maybe you're watching online and you're watching this later, or maybe you're here tonight, and you've never trusted this Jesus, this one who can meet your need. He's the Savior. He died on the cross to pay for your sin. This Jesus can save you. Do you need him tonight? Do you need Jesus to save you tonight? I invite you to pray. Confess your sin. Ask him to save you right now. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this passage. Thank you, Jesus, for ministering to this large crowd of people. God, for not being annoyed that they intruded on your time and on you when you were tired. God, you had compassion on them. Help us, God, to have the same compassion for those around us, Lord, to be selfless, selfless in the ministry to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. If I can minister to you in any way, you come on the first verse. I'll be glad to. have any questions after the service you know if you, if you want to be saved please catch one of us Bill or myself let me encourage you to do one more thing uh, Terry Dodd most of you know we had his funeral here Friday continue to pray for Sheila and Ashley the family unexpected loss he died a week ago Saturday night unexpectedly hospital and they couldn't get him back Terry is a godly man uh, served here in this church they've been members for 18 years was a deacon for 15 years Pray for them, uh, for God to comfort them and encourage them in the days ahead, okay? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry here, for all that you do in our lives. God, I pray this week, help us to be a witness and a testimony to those around us to share the gospel, to invite people to come, and you be glorified.